can see what I can see. Yeah. Broadcast live. I'm always waiting for the five, four, three. Four, three. Well, <laughs> we are on now. And welcome to our weekly chat known as Just Two Dads. Uh, as you know, uh, for those of you that um, watch us, those of you that are joining for the first time, you may not be aware. We are just that, Just Two Dads. Each uh, men who happen to work in the uh, financial services industry, uh, but more importantly, our parents to children with special needs. And we just have general conversation about things that um, mean a lot to most everybody, but especially to someone who um, is caring for or raising a child or uh, caring for an adult with special needs. And today we're going to touch on the topic of uh, estate planning, wills and trust, and especially special needs wills and trust. And the gentleman that is joining us today is a uh, an attorney uh, who works in that field, and uh, we are honored to have him here with us. Uh, that is Mr. Glenn Wagstaff. Welcome, Glenn. Thank you very much, guys. It's a pleasure and an honor to be here with you. Good to see you, man. Good to see you. Definitely. This is so again, I, I, again, Sean. We're like we're like last yeah. week. We we had a, we had a, a special needs attorney on. It was just two dads and attorney. So today we have to make it uh, just two dads and uh, state planning. <laughs> to come up with some, yeah, there you go. some new catchphrase every time. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> so Glenn, I you know uh, we've known each other for a little bit, but I don't know that you are a member of the special needs community in terms of caring for a family member um, that has a uh, developmental uh, delay or anything. And as I was telling you, I wanted to start out with a little bit about your story and what led you to, led you to this because. Anyone that is a special needs uh, warrior, no matter how great or small, and is not uh, traditionally a member of that community, I, take, I think it takes exceptional insight and care for people to step into that realm. So tell us a little bit about yourself and what led you to this path. Yeah, so, you know, originally I'm from Southern California, and um, I, I think, like, I never imagined that I would be an estate planner. I, I knew for a long time that I wanted to be an attorney. But I thought I wanted to be a prosecutor, right? So I, I went to law school. <laughs> that was kind of the career path I was on. And then what school did you go to, by the way? Where'd you go? I studied down at USC, and then for law school, I went up to uh, to, to J. Rubin Clark Law School up at BYU. Okay, and, fantastic. Uh, yeah, so you know, I I was excited about you know my career path until I kind of got disillusioned a little bit with with crim the criminal justice system. And I'm kind of looking around and I was in the financial industry like you guys, right, uh, back then. And uh, and so I had a mentor of mine sit sit down with me and basically say, hey, you know, have you considered estate planning? And at the time I hadn't. And he said, you know, you should really look into that because there's a lot of need for that. And so I did. And, you know, I ended up getting a position with the firm and it was a good position. I was on a partnership track. And, um, and what I found was I just I, I fell in love with the concept that every family is different and that they need to plan for their futures. They need to, you know, have things in place to make sure that they're taken care of. And then, you know, as, as I've, you know, sitting with families and just seeing what kind of needs they have, uh, the special needs community was just one of those communities that specifically has, you know, needs for planning um, and, and their unique situations. And it's definitely a vulnerable sort of population that needs to make sure that they have things in place. And, you know, after sometimes in hindsight, we look back and we're like, you know, there are things that, you know, I've been involved in this community all along the way. I just didn't know it. Right. So my right. sister is, you know, very high functioning she has autism. Right. And, um, and, and she's on the spectrum and, and then I have, you know, my, my grandparents 
for years, I remember, you know, growing up and visiting with them with an adult, uh, you know, with disabilities that, that, uh, that was left, basically her parents passed away and my grandparents were surrogate parents for her, right? And so they've taken care of her for years and years. And uh, the kind of the dying wish of her, of her, you know, parents was that, uh, that they would take care of her. And because things weren't wow. in place legally, they weren't able to get guardianship. They weren't able to legally take care of her, but, but they've always been there for her, right? Hmm. And so, you know, I'm, I'm not formally a member of the community, but definitely have helped a lot of families in the community. Yeah, we find that that's the case, right? Yeah. A lot of people are like, oh yeah, special needs doesn't affect me because I don't have a child, but, but like you, you know, maybe there's a sibling or a family member or somebody who develops, you know, some sort of need as an adult down the road where they're they need some they need some special you know special care, and uh, and, and it's amazing how much the special needs community touches so many families uh, around this country. It's, it really is actually around the world, obviously, but. Um, I was going to ask you a question. I know Sean, you're going to jump in there too, but Glenn, are you, no, so ahead, are no, you married? Ahead, are you married and do you have, do you have children? Yeah. Yeah. In fact, you know, so we had five kids. We, we had um, actually one of them passed away a couple years ago. Oh my gosh. Uh, one on Darn. the way uh, later this month, probably. <laughs> Congratulations. Oh my gosh. Congratulations. Congratulations. Wow. How old are, what age ranges are your kids? The oldest one is, is turning eight at the end of the year. And then the five uh, children under eight years old. <laughs> oh my God. Wow. Incredible. Incredible. And now do we freeze out That's there fantastic. a little bit? Yeah. Okay. We're good. All right. We're good. I think, I think Sean, you may be freezing a little bit. I'm not sure if I'm freezing, but I feel like we're kind of getting static here. <laughs> yeah. So, so Glenn, yeah, it, it, go ahead. The youngest one, uh, you know, is going to be born later this month, and and then the one, the next one up is two years old. So, oh yeah, busy, busy. Wow. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> so here's a like an elementary question. Most people know about estate planning, you know, about wills and trusts and things of that sort, you know. But for lack of a better term, here's and we lost Brian there. At least his camera. Hopefully, you're still there, Brian. But tell me, you know. Tell people about what it means, what estate planning, you know, if you can define estate planning, wills and trusts, the difference between a will versus a trust, the benefits of having it and how those plans or not having those plans um, can affect uh, families, especially that have members of special needs. So that's a loaded question, right? There's a lot to go. <laughs> but let me, let me see the basics. So, you know, the, the, the thing that a lot of us, I think, forget about is we hear this all the time. People say, well, I don't have an estate. What do I need to have an estate plan for? Right. And, and what we don't realize is that your estate is you, you yourself and you, if you're not married, right. If you, if you don't have any kids, um, there's right. still something to protect. Uh, so regardless of how much or how little you have, it's important to have paperwork in place to make sure that you're protected, that your family's protected in case something were to happen to you. And it's really just planning around emergencies, right? If you've been alive in 2020, you know emergencies happen, right? Absolutely. <laughs> yes. So, uh, so, so on a very basic level, right? I, I remember my my sister um, was in her second year of college, and she was studying down in some uh, in San Diego, Southern California, and uh, and she found herself unconscious in the hospital, right? So the hospital calls my parents and they say, "Hey." Um, do you have a medical directive or a healthcare power of attorney 
uh, for your daughter. And, and of course they didn't. And so they said, okay, well, we can't tell you anything, but your daughter's here. And so that, you know, and this is, this is completely unrelated to, you know, special needs planning, but once you're an adult, you know, the law kicks in and once you're 18, right, the HIPAA law prevents medical facilities from sharing your private medical information. There are other restrictions. Sometimes we think it's automatic that we can intercede that we can help for our loved ones if there's an emergency, but that's just not the case. It's not automatic. There's legal processes. And if you don't have the right documents, then it can become very complicated. Special needs families come across those things more frequently, but it's really important for everybody. Yeah, for sure. Wow. That's something else. Um, Go ahead. Go ahead. Again, you know, on a very basic level, having powers of attorney, financial powers of attorney, medical directives, healthcare powers of attorney is important for all of us. Um, but, but even more so once you have children, because another thing to consider is, you know, who would take care of your kids if you're gone, right? And, and designating the individuals or, or the persons that you would want to be in that role is very important. And so, you know, these are things that every family should be considering, but sometimes, you know, in, in, uh, in certain circumstances, it's even more important to consider earlier or consider for longer, right? Because the, the results can be worse if, if you don't have it in place. And when, right. when should somebody consider, so, so there's a will and there's a trust, right? So those are two separate, two separate things. Like, and, and I get it, you know, your estate is, estate planning is for you as an individual, if you're not married, but for kids, but when does it make sense to establish a trust? And, and can you explain like what the people see the different, like what they call this revocable trust and irrevocable trust without getting into too much legal terminology, just some general information. Can you, can you kind of talk about that? Like, when does it make sense for for people to have that, uh, have a trust in place, for example. The, you know, the benchmark for, for looking at your estate planning, everybody needs to have some basic documents, but, but really when, once you're married or, or when you have kids, then that's when it's more important to have a will. And the reason okay. is because in your will, you can designate, okay, who's going to take care of the minor children if, if something happens to you, right? Uh, who's going to be in charge of distributing everything as part of your estate and who's going to be the administrator. And then also how are things going to be divided out, right? So you can designate those things in your will, but if you just have a will, your will will go through probate. It's going to have to go through the court system, right? And sometimes the court system is easy to, you know, kind of maneuver and sometimes it's very difficult. I know you guys are in California. California is a very difficult state to go through probate in, right? It's expensive. It takes a long time. It's complicated. It can cause family problems. And and so most of the time people want to avoid that. And so once you own real estate and you have kids, that's when you want to have a trust. Got it. And, and then uh, revocable versus irrevocable. What is the difference? Between yeah, those? What does that mean? You know, so basically a revocable trust is a trust that you keep all the control over. So you set it up. You can be your own trustee. You can put stuff in. You can take stuff out. You keep all the flexibility over your property as if you owned it yourself. And an ir- irrevocable trust, we would set up for the purpose of giving you some sort of protection, whether that's for taxes or whether that's for, you know, keeping benefits, qualifying for benefits or those sort of things, or, or maybe for some other purpose like asset protection, but you have to give up some level of control in order to have that protection. So it's kind of a give and take. And, and so that's where you use irrevocable trust is, is for, for that kind of planning. And, and then there's like a third party, somebody who, 
is responsible for managing the trust assets and activities of the trust. Is that right? Is it somebody separate from you as a yeah, you nominate a trustee and depending okay. on the type of plan you're doing, it may be somebody else or it may be a professional or maybe, you know, but it should be somebody that you trust. Mm, okay. It's the now, word. <laughs> yeah. Now you know that the way that we work in 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 our firm in our business in our in our industry, you know, we try to dispel the notion that you know financial planning is for people who have lots of money, uh, as opposed to the fact that it's for people who earn money. Period. The fact that if you don't have a plan for your money, regardless of how little or how much you earn. Um, the government does have a plan for it. So what do you say to those that may be very simple people, medium income, special needs or not, as to why they should have um, why they should have, should have a will or trust in place? Because there's some people that I say, well, I don't have that much. It's not a big deal. Speak, uh, if you will, to, to that, generally speaking, and then how it affects uh, the special needs community and, and, and how the special needs trust differs from everything you've just mentioned. If that's not yeah. redundant, sorry. So let me let me answer by telling you a story. And this is a story. It's a heartbreaking story. I just heard it recently. Um, You're not going to make me cry, right? Because <laughs> I cry a lot, Glenn. So yeah. <laughs> don't make me cry. So, so I'll look the, away. Down in Southern California, um, there there was a young a young couple, right? They have they have three kids at home, young children, right? And they had grandma who would help raise the kids ever since, basically since they were born. So they all live together and, you know, uh, grandma's taking care of the kids. They go out for a weekend, you know, down, down South in Mexico. And then they're coming back and they get hit by a drunk driver. Both of them die. Um, and grandma expects that, you know, she was taking care of the kids. She's expecting that now that her son and her daughter-in-law are gone, that she's going to be the guardian to take care of the kids and to raise them. That's what she expects. Well, when it gets to court and the judge is trying to decide who the guardian's going to be, the judge says, you can't take care of these kids. You're, you're receiving social security. You don't have an income. You can't work. You're not in a, in a situation. You live in a one bedroom apartment. You can't take care of these kids. So in the meantime, while they're trying to decide who is going to take care of the kids, the kids go into the foster care system. No. And, and mom and, and grandma is going crazy because, you know, she doesn't speak the language well. She's, you know, Spanish speaker primarily. And, and uh, she wants to take care of the kids, but she knows that the judge isn't, isn't going to give them to her. And one of the aunts ends up being nominated and becomes the guardian for the, for the children. The judge decides to give the children to her because she has a good job. She's established. She's single. But she didn't want to take care of them. She didn't want to oh raise gosh. them. She didn't want to be in charge. But that's what ended up happening. Why? Because there was nothing in place specifying what the parents wanted. They didn't. They didn't nominate a guardian. They didn't have these documents. And by the way, they didn't have life insurance, right? Because oh that gosh. would have solved the problem of grandma not being able to provide for the kids if they would have right. had life insurance. So <laughs> this kind of plan is important. And sometimes it's even more important when you don't have anything. Why? Because so what you do have is those relationships. And if you don't plan for them, that's what's going to be lost. Right. So let me ask, you're, you're saying then, and you're not a judge, so you don't know. But I mean, as an attorney, you're saying that at least the chances of even with no final wishes, no will, no trust in place, it's fair to say that an attorney looking at a, at a grandmother with no income 
but being the beneficiary of a life insurance policy had the parents put that in place could have played into her favor in them thinking that she at least had the financial wherewithal to um, to raise those kids. Yeah, if she would have if she would have received a death benefit from a life insurance to be able to raise them with, that would have solved the problem because then she wouldn't have had to stay in the one bedroom apartment. She would have been able to provide for them financially, right? Because that was the big issue at hand. And I'm not saying that this is going to happen every time. Every judge is different. Every situation is different. I'm right. This is a real life story that I've heard about that did happen. Right. And so it can. Wow. And the scary thing, by the way, because we're talking about special needs families, the scary thing is that, you know, in the, the default under state law is that any interested party can nominate themselves to take care of your kids. If you knew that, if you don't have a plan, any interested party can nominate themselves. Well, when you have a special needs child, the state automatically becomes an interested party. The state thinks that they can take care of your kids better than anybody else. So they're oh going to nominate gosh. themselves and they're going to say, we're the first choice. We get priority unless you've done a plan. So wow. that's wow. why planning is so important. Wow. The state can't even fix their freaking freeways, you know, on a timely basis. <laughs> they're going to take care of your kids. You know what I mean? It's like, that's yeah, crazy. Yeah. But it's amazing to know this stuff, but to still hear it, it's, you know, to be reminded of it and have it from your, your perspective, there's a piece of me that feels like I'm hearing it for the first time, at least receiving it differently. It just, it never ceases to amaze me. Yeah. Uh, Glenn, talking about this just for a second in the area of life insurance, because this has come up and I'd I'd love to hear your perspective on it and, and just confirm if this is right or not. But, but I'm not sure what the ages were of those, of those children. But in your particular situation, if the children are under the age of 18, they can't be named as beneficiaries, right, of a life insurance policy should something happen to their parents, right? It would have to be an adult or in the case of a trust, it has to be the beneficiary would have to be the trustee for the trust. Is that correct? Well, so the the trust is the best option, right? Because there's something called the Uniform Transfers to Minors Act. And basically what that that if, if you have a minor and they would receive something, then, uh, you know, they can't own it themselves. So somebody else has to be the custodian for those funds. They have to take care of it for them. And, and that means that they have to report to the court every year on what they're doing with it. And we've had lots of situations where, you know, the, the custodian or the guardian wants to invest the money a certain way and the court disagrees Well, mm. as rules, right? So if you don't want to have that oversight of the court looking over your shoulder and having to report every year and, you know, that sort of stuff, then it's best not to name them as beneficiaries. It's best to have a trust and have the right. money held for their benefit. Now, in the case so then of- the, No, go ahead, sorry. Yeah, in the case of, you know, a, a child with benefits that, that would be entitled to benefits, it's even more important because you don't sure. want them to receive the money because that'll disqualify them from benefits, right? Right. And so, so, so they have a special- They can technically benefit. be set up that way. It can be set up that way, but that's where it's important to have someone- doing that, making that arrangement that knows what you just shared in that it's not done that way. So it's not to the detriment of, of, of the child, obviously. Yeah. And that's, and that's where the special needs trust comes in is, is the special needs trust is intended to hold the property on their behalf, regardless of what age they are so that it won't affect their benefits. That's a key. That's a key. Wow. Hmm. Fantastic. Okay. That's what, um, what benefit is there, if any, is there to, a child with special needs having a special needs trust if they're not receiving any benefits uh say they're not receiving ssi social security uh ihss or anything like that 
they're not receiving any, what is the benefit to them to still having a special needs trust? So that's, that's a real interesting question because most of the time, the reason that happens is because they can't qualify based on the parents' income, the parents' assets. Right. right. But as soon as the parents are gone, they are going to be able to qualify. So the question becomes, do you want them to be able to receive any benefits they would be entitled to, or do you want them to miss out on it because of the way that the plan's structured, right? So the special mm-hmm. needs allows them to receive any and all benefits that they would be entitled to without being disqualified from those benefits because they inherited something. Wow. Fantastic. That's interesting. Yeah. 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 How well versed do you find the average person or average family to be um, about these things? And then before I lead into that, let me ask you, how long have you been practicing law, Glenn? Because I, 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 that I didn't know. So I'm, I'm the managing, the managing partner for actually for the largest estate planning firm in the country. So we have over a hundred attorneys across the country and we've, We've progressed and we've grown very rapidly. I've only been practicing for for seven years, and we've been in, you know, in business for about six years. Um, but but I think the reason that we've grown so much is because the approach we take is number one, we focus only on this area of law, you know, estate planning, and number two, you know, we want to focus on the specific needs that clients have, and so we take a very niche approach to planning, right? So combined experience in the firm, we have hundreds of years, right? But, uh, but yeah, I've been, I've been practicing a relatively short period of time and that time I've seen hundreds of cases, both good and bad examples, but I would say the average, the average client, the average person doesn't know very much about this. And it's not that we don't know that it's important. It's just that we, we don't think about it enough or, or we just postpone it to the point where sometimes we postpone it uh, until, until a bad thing happens and then it's too late. Right. <laughs> Life insurance falls the same category, right? Uh, disability insurance, a lot of these things that we don't do it, we don't plan for it. And then what is it? It's, you know, y- y- you some people fail. think, well, yeah, right. You, you don't fail, you don't plan to fail, you fail to plan, right? Correct. Right. It's always mm-hmm. bad. People think, oh, I'm 10 years too early, but that's better than being 10 minutes too late. Is that what they say? Um, and I was going to ask you so, so are estate planning laws different state by state, or is it a kind of a federal? Is it a federal thing? Is it state planning rules? It's state specific. State specific. And, and state specific. Benefits are state specific too, because even though you know most of these programs are federal programs, but they're administered on the state level, and so you have to comply with you know the program of the state to make sure that you're that you're going to not have any problems. Um, and that's why we have you know local council in pretty much every state to be able to work with. And is it tied to the to your residents? In other words. I live in California. Do I have to have a, a you know, a, a, a trust that's based in California or like a corporation? Can I be can I place it in any other state? Does that matter? You can, you can place it in any state and, and you can, you know, sometimes there's a, a reason to do that. That was going to be my next question. <laughs> yeah, generally speaking, wherever you, wherever you're located, that's the state that you're going to you know do your plan around unless there's a, a reason for tax purposes or something else to do something otherwise. But generally you want to plan in this for the state that you're in. And then if you end up moving, you know, there's full faith and credit given to, to the documents you set up in any state, regardless of what state you move to. Gotcha. But if you, but if you had a trust that was set up in California, for example, and then you moved to Texas, 
and that becomes your permanent residence. Does it make sense to then, again, because the rules in the state are, are different from what you're saying, does it make sense to then transfer it to, or develop a new trust or put a new trust in place in the new state that you've become a resident? I'm just asking these questions. I don't know, there's sort of a general it's a curiosity. It's a good idea to review. It's a good idea to review the plan and just see whether anything needs to be changed. But there's no need to redo it generally because the state's still going to recognize the plan that you set up. And okay. so there may be a need to make some changes, but but generally you don't have to replace it. And, and again, I'm sorry, Sean, I'm just sort of dominating the questions here. Just I'm curious. No, I go right ahead. Go right ahead. I love this part of the law. So if um, you can make modifications to the trust, so obviously, you know, as you buy and sell property or you you buy and sell assets, you know, in the name of the trust, that's going it, to, it's, it's a document that continues to evolve, correct? Is it always that's growing and changing? The living trust, right? Because it's, it's a, a living trust. The living document. So yeah, you should review it every couple of years and just make sure it's up to date and, you know, make minor changes as, as needed, maybe major changes as needed. Okay. And, and, and just one more time on the, on the, I get the, I get the difference between revocable and irrevocable. I'm giving up control of my estate to some degree in an irrevocable trust. What's the reason why people would choose a revocable trust versus an irrevocable trust? Like what's the purpose for having it, having different forms of that? Like what, what's the benefit of having a revocable trust versus irrevocable trust? Well, it's, it's, it's not like people choose to make it irrevocable just because because you're giving up control by doing that, right? Yeah. You're giving yeah. your ability to make changes. And well, why would anybody do that? I guess is the question, right? The average person would say, well, why would you give up control of your... Because you're getting protections of some kind. So if, okay. if you need it for, like, for example, to avoid taxes, estate taxes, uh, then you, you need to get it out of your name. So it's not going to be owned by you, right? Uh -huh. There's yeah. other situations where, you know, we've had, we've had other situations where people qualify for disability benefits, not because they had... A disability that you know that was biological but because they were in a in an accident right and and so now you know, maybe they get a settlement check and they're gonna be disabled the rest of their life but it was because of this accident that happened right and so instead of having them receive those benefits we we actually want it owned by a separate entity that has to be an irrevocable structure so in order for it to be its own taxpayer its own entity it has to be an irrevocable structure so so we would set up we call them settlement trusts, but basically it's a special needs trust of some kind to receive that settlement money. And then it can be used for the rest of their lives for their benefit, but it's never actually owned by them and because it's not actually owned by them. Then it's not going to affect their eligibility for benefits and they don't have direct access or control over it. So maybe if they have impaired judgment or something like that, that's not going to cause problems. Cause by the way, I mean, a lot of times we forget about the fact that there are bad people in the world too. I mean, there yeah. are, predatory companies out there that target individuals with disabilities to, to try to mm. get them to buy things that they don't need. And if mm. they find out that you have money from a settlement or from an inheritance, they come after you. Mm. And, right. and so just the fact that you're keeping that privacy and keeping it out of, you know, out of that direct control sometimes is a benefit in and of itself. That makes sense. If I, if I go to a, to a, to a very, um, well-known famous case and you can tell me if i'm i'm right about this but but for oj simpson there was a certain amount of his estate that could not be touched by you know by the courts correct am i right about that was it yeah. as a pension was it a trust or what was that how was that set up 
because that would be one of the reasons why you want to be protected. So that's a whole other discussion. Maybe you have to have me back about asset protection. Basically, there are some assets that can't be, you know, can't be collected against. And if you have your assets in an irrevocable trust, that's one way to do that. Yeah. Okay. Not that I'm, not that I'm, you know, advocating, <laughs> you know, criminal activity or anything, but, but I mean, as some people, you know, again, if you're sued uh, by, you know, activity, listen, I was a, I was an officer in a public company, you know, you're always, you always have exposure and liability, even though you have officers, you know, uh, directors and officers insurance to protect you, you know, some people like to come after individuals of companies. And so um, in that particular case, having a trust is beneficial because well, your well, property is the topic while we're on the topic let me share another story with you okay. we have a we had a client of ours who's a, a mechanic right he, he works on cars out of his out of his own garage and he had one of his clients that needed to borrow his car for the weekend it's a normal okay. thing he lets him borrow his car he's working on his car well it's a it's a rainy day in southern california right the the driver tries to stop and doesn't quite stop in time and ends up hitting a little old lady who's crossing the street. The lady oh my gosh! Over, hits her head and has to have brain surgery, right? Oh my gosh! The driver's car insurance paid out to its limit, 100% to its limit. The the owner of the car's car insurance paid out 100% to its limit, but it was still only $500,000. So now she's you know coming after him for a million dollars of the cost of medical treatment, right? And he's looking at possibly losing his house, losing his retirement, losing, you know, he's taking care of his aging parents and he has young kids at home still. That's a scary situation. Who would have imagined, right? But those sort of things happen sometimes. These are the kinds of stories that, by the way, people should know about. I mean, is it terrible thing to say, but, you know, people are, especially now with the pandemic, people are scrambling to find, you know, ways to make extra money and starting a new business and, don't realize that the exposure that they have, and once they start their own business, they want to make sure that they've got certain protections in place in case something like this happens. I have heard stories of people who, who because of a weird twist of events, a car accident or something happens, they they lost all of the properties that they owned because they never put them in in any kind of uh, vehicle that protected them. So that's a great great example. And is that crazy? Like you do somebody a favor, you let them your car as you're working on there. And, and that ends up possibly costing you everything that you have. Amazing, amazing, wow. amazing limitations. Sean, I've dominated. Do you have other questions? I'm sure you're like, no, no, no. I'm actually, I, I'm like a listener today because I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm taking it all, all in. Um, because I'm fascinated things, by this. I love these things. I love these. Things. Yeah, I no, I do too. I do too. That's, that's why I'm so glad for uh, Glenn to be here because, you know, it's, the information itself is fascinating. Anything that puts you in a position to better your life and improve it is fascinating. It's also intriguing and valuable when what we're talking about is something that is in hidden in plain sight and something that everybody should know about. And again, goes back to what I was saying earlier, which is this notion about, you know, outside of your own plan, which could be the best intentions and, even the most effective to an extent, most people think that outside of their own plans, they don't necessarily have to have a plan for their money unless they're making uh, a lot of it. And, you know, this is just another example of how that's not true. And, you know, most people don't 
it's just like what we talk about the rights that uh, we have as, as, as uh, special needs uh, parents, parents that children with special needs. You can fight for all your rights and everything, you know, as you want to, but isn't it easier to fight for it if you know what those rights are and what you have access to? I, well, I think I think a big part of it too is is uh, is mindset, right? Sometimes sometimes we we tend to think about ourselves and think about you know maybe even think about our problems, and we think, okay, well I can't do anything about it. But if you're in a different mindset, you know, then the possibilities open up, right? And so uh, one of the common mistakes that families will do, especially families that have you know special needs children. Is they'll say, okay, well, you know, Tommy can't receive anything because if he gets money, he's going to lose his benefits. So we're just right. going to disinherit him, <laughs> and we're going to oh say, you know, Sally, take care of your brother, right? Well, that doesn't that doesn't always end up in a good spot. That doesn't always turn out right, right? Right. And then, and then you hear about these stories, you know, another heartbreaking story, right? But we had a a client of ours that um, he was actually, you know, he was he was actually uh, very high functioning and, and he had, he was on the spectrum and, but, uh, but it's difficult for him to, you know, concentrate to be able to keep a job and that sort of stuff. And he ended up kind of being on the street because his siblings didn't know what to do with him. They didn't know how to take care of him and they didn't have the resources sure. to take care of him. And next thing you know, he's, he's homeless on the street. Right. And so, and that's not what his parents wanted, but, but it's just, you know, because, because things weren't set out in a way to be able to make it easy. Right. And so, the, the answer isn't, well, we don't have anything, so we're just going to not leave them anything. If you're going to take care of your kids when you're gone, you got to plan around that because you can leverage life insurance. You can leverage other, you know, investment vehicles or other opportunities. You can even leverage, you know, benefit opportunities to give them a better life when you're not there than they would have had maybe even than they would have had when you were there. Yeah. And, and sometimes we just assume, well, it's just going to be bad on them anyway. So let's not even worry about it. But if, if you really want to leave a legacy, if you want to take care of them when you're gone, it should be the opposite. It should be, okay, well, we're going to put something in place. So worst case scenario, he's going to live like a king. He's not going to have his parents. He's going to be heartbroken, but he's going to live like a king. Right? Yeah. Let me ask you this. Um, just as a, from a practical perspective, is Sean saying, you know, people don't have things in place. And so, Oftentimes planning for the future, it's, you know, do I, do I do that or do I do something else? So, so one of the things when it comes to trust and, 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 and when the stuff that we're talking about today is cost, like, is that a thing that's keeping people from putting something in place? Is it expensive to set up a trust? Is it, you know, I, and again, I realize it, it and I hate to say this, but I know many, many, many lawyers whose every single sentence starts with the same words. It depends. And I know that that's what you're going to say. <laughs> it depends. Firebit, by the way. Yeah, no, no, I get it. I know before you sign your legal, your law, your law certificate, you have to, you have to incorporate. It depends. Um, but in general, is it, a, is it an expensive process? Is it, a, is it, is it a very detailed process to set something up? Like to give people kind of an idea of what that looks like. Is it, what does that look like? I mean, to, there's varying levels of, of planning, but to do a, a detailed plan, to do it properly, you need to work with somebody who knows what they're doing. And, you know, there's costs to doing services. But if you go back 20 years and you and you were sitting down with an attorney, you know, they have to go to their typewriter and type up your plan every single time. And so right. they're charging you by the hour, right? 
it's not like that anymore. We can leverage technology today, right? And so it's a lot less expensive than it used to be. And to get something simple in place, it may be a matter of a few hundred dollars. To, to get something you know reasonable for a special needs sort of plan is more complicated. Yeah, it's gonna be a little bit more expensive, but guess what? We spend more money on our sofa or on our or on our car than right. we do on these things. So, I mean, you're right that you hate the answer, it depends, but is it expensive? Well, it depends on what you think expensive is. <laughs> because, sure. because it's gonna protect everything you own and it's gonna protect your loved ones. Is it worth it? Yeah, it's worth it. Yeah, but it's sort of like, is it, you know, is it a, is it a few hundred dollars or is it several thousands of dollars, right? That's the first, and, and I know it's like, well, the more assets you have, the more expensive it's gonna be. But I would also say the more assets you have, the cost of putting something in place is less concerning. If one you're- One of the things that's unique about us is we don't base the, the price on your assets, on the size of your estate, right? A lot of attorneys do, but different. we base complexity. And unfortunately, you know, you have a special needs child, your situation is more complex because your plan needs to be more complex. So it's going to be sure. a little bit more expensive, right? If you go to an attorney and there's, you know, we call it the smell test. If you go to somebody and they say, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a full special needs trust and it's going to be 400 bucks. Yeah, you're probably not getting what you need because it's probably not going to be done properly, right? You don't want a rubber stamp one size fits all solution. It's not the type of plan that you want to do that way. Um, but on the other hand, it doesn't have to cost you $10,000 either, right? And so, you know, our plans are going to average somewhere in the, you know, two to 4,000 range. That's good. Um, so, it's a, I mean, it's an investment, right? And we try to make it affordable. We have payment plans and stuff like that. But, uh, but at the end of the day, um, it's, you, it can't be something that you just get a template and then, and that's good enough. Because in right. order to these needs, it has to be customized for your situation. Sure. And, and that makes sense. And that, and that's, so I just wanted to give people a general idea of what that, you know, what that entailed. So thank you for that. Yeah. And so you mentioned two to, two to 4,000, depending on the situation. And then there's payment plans that are available to your knowledge. How does that compare to what a typical firm would, would charge? Cause I'll, I'll, I'll just say here that what you guys do in terms of the way you operate is not in the manner in which a typical firm um, would operate. So if you can't speak to that, and then in the in the chat, we have your uh, your website up there also for people like that, that are curious, but speak to that as to, you know, what the difference is between that um, versus the manner in which um, uh, a typical firm would stand, uh, you know, typically operate. So, I, I mean, there basically there's three solutions out there that, you know, that, that you will come across. There's, there's, mm -hmm big name firms that, you know, often will charge hourly to do their work. And, you know, in Southern California, especially, you're looking at maybe three to $400 an hour and you don't know how long it's going to take. Right. And you don't know exactly what's being done for that work. I had yep. you know, my aunt uh, hired one of these attorneys. She ended up spending close to $6,000 to do a plan. And then she had me look it over afterward. And I found places where they hadn't even replaced the previous client's name in the documents. Oh my gosh. Right? It just imagine, and you look at this and you're like, I just paid her 500 bucks an hour for, you know, six grand and she didn't even double check their spell check or, you know, so it's crazy, right? So, I mean, one side of the spectrum, you have that. On the other side of the spectrum, you have non-lawyer companies that just sell you a template and say, hey, you don't need something complicated. Just put your name in here and you're good. You don't want that either, wow. right? So you're going to look at, you know, the people in the middle that most of them are, you know, small firms or solo practitioners and, 
they focus on this type of planning, they know what they're doing. And, you know, that's the range that you're going to be in. The problem is that they can't compete in getting their name out there in the community. So they're forced to charge more and more for their services. So, I mean, I, I can't speak to my colleagues of what they would charge uh, in other firms, but I will say that we're usually about half as expensive as the going rates in big markets. That's good. Let I mean, me I ask you this. If someone, if someone came to you and had an experience like your, your aunt did, is there any kind of recourse that they have? Because it seems like if you're paying, this is like if I go to a mechanic and I pay for my car to be fixed and, you know, I guess it depends on the fine print of your bill or whatever, but if I'm paying for A and I get every letter but that, what recourse does someone, uh, does one have legally, if any? It's, uh, you know, most of the time when, when people have that come up, they, they don't even know that they've been had, right? They don't even know that they, that they had an issue uh, until it's too late, mm. until the later, right? right? And then, and right. then they think yeah. back and, oh, I probably shouldn't have worked with that person, <laughs> but they don't do anything about it, right? Right. But, um, but in that situation, the recourse was, she said, well, I'm going to call her up and have her fix it and see what, see what, you know, what she'll do. And the answer was, yeah, we'll fix it for you. We're, we won't charge you to fix it. <laughs> right. But, you know, it's, it's, it, you know, it just depends on kind of, you know, who you're working with and how they do business. Right. But, um, but yeah, one of the things that we, that we pride ourselves on is, you know, we, we don't, planning is not a one-time thing. It's not something that you should just do once and forget about the rest of your life. Your situation is going right. to Circumstances are going to change. Your plan may need to change. Right. So when we do custom planning with a client, you know, we want to be there for them year after year. And if they have, you know, questions or issues, or if they just want to review things, we're there to help them review it. And there's no cost to stay in touch like that, right? You you actually want right. to stay in touch with your trusted advisors. Because in the case mm -hmm. of an emergency, you want your loved ones to be able to call and say, hey, what do we do now, right? And so that's why that's why we do that. But, you know, um, I think I think this is a, an area that's that's becoming more and more, there's more people aware of it can't say that most people right. act on it because there's still yeah. over half of Americans don't have anything. Right? Yeah. Right. But, but people are being more aware of it. And, and so I, I think, uh, you know, it's something that that's important for people to look into and obviously, you know, trust who they're working with. Let me ask you a quick question. Are you, Glenn, using sort of like a, a digital vault for these kinds of, keep documentation for families you know again we're seeing what's happening in northern california where these you know fires we've did double the size of the the last record uh, number of acres being burned in california homes are being destroyed so if anybody had you know their key paperwork at home their life insurance their trust is it are you guys proponents and i mean i i know how i said i think this could be an obvious question but digital vaults where if in the case of like you were talking about the grandmother, the parents both pass away, how do people get notified? And is there access to this paperwork in, in a digital environment? Is that, is that something that's you guys have seen a lot of? Every time. Yeah. Every plan we recommend that somebody has that. And, you know, if they don't already have it, we, we have a solution that we include in the plan for them. Good. So we, mostly with a, with a company called Legacy Shield to provide that. But there are other solutions like that. But that's the one that we've chosen to kind of embed in every plan. Yeah. Got got it. So Legacy Shield offers some of those initials, you know, uh, simple wills and, and, and trust paperwork. And then you guys are on top of that and can do the more detailed ones. Am I, am I yeah. correctly? 
Shield also just provides the the portal to keep track of all your digital documents and accounts Beautiful. and words and you know some of those things that we overlook. I mean, just imagine, just imagine if you you know you have a special needs child that has medication. Maybe they have a preferred doctor. Maybe they have you know some day to day things that you have to deal with. And as a parent, we have a client of ours that that um, you know their their son has uh, epilepsy and he has epileptic seizures, right? And he has a special machine to help him when he has those seizures. Well, it requires special training to be able to use it, and it's stored in a specific spot. That's all information. <laughs> if she doesn't provide to the caregivers, and if they if they use it wrong or if they are not trained with it, they can actually cause him to die, right? For sure. So it's important sure. to have that information given to whoever's going to be taking care of him. And in the case of her not being there, how would that information be passed on? So, so this portal allows all of those sort of things to be passed on to someone you trust in the case of an emergency. I mean, I'm a fan. I think that the digital portal um, as a concept, listen, I use, I use Dropbox for all of my business activity, you know, all my business files and everything, and I can access it on any device. So God forbid something happens to any of my, my computer, my phone, I have access to this, but I would think that a digital portal or a digital vault, if you will, is got to be, a, you know, should be something that everybody's thinking about. And they're fairly inexpensive these days, right? It doesn't cost very much to actually store all of your information but if you're a homeowner you want the deed of your house if you're a business owner you want key critical you know pieces of information your, your trust your life insurance all those kinds of things it would make sense to be i'm just i mean i'm sort of thinking that out loud to, you know a digital portal makes so much sense and they're fairly inexpensive to maintain too right there's a, a monthly or an annual fee that's pretty inexpensive am i right about that yeah, the, the ones that we use, it's basically, a, there's no annual fee. It's just a one-time included with the plan sort of thing. Oh, my God. Then Even better. Life, yeah. Even better. Wow. Well, that's great. So I know that we work with Legacy Shield as a, as a you know, as a partner company. And, and you know, that's, we know you through them. But the idea that, you know, we, we probably are doing a disservice if we're not talking about Legacy Shield for all of our clients as well. Just because of that yeah. piece right there, it's something that we should be doing more of. I keep interrupting you, Sean. And then, Go ahead. I'm sorry. Glenn, that the, no, nah, it's okay. The other thing is, in, in most cases, because a firm will typically charge an hourly rate, if they put a plan together, you know, your work, much like ours, you sit down with someone, you do what's right for them, not what's right for you, because that's right, that's what's right for everyone long term. You're building a relationship, life changes come about. So you just need to be made to the plan, whether it's the financial pieces we do or the legal pieces you do. In most cases, is it not true that if you put a plan together with a firm, most outside of your own, that there's a fee to do that, basically an hourly fee. But once the plan is put together and you need to make changes, there's a child that's born that's being added to you know, remarried, sale of a house, whatever the case is, there's typically a fee to go in and amend that plan. Is there not? A lot of times there's a fee just to sit down and talk again, right? I mean, <laughs> think about attorneys right. have a bad reputation. Right. <laughs> it's because, you know, every like I'd be sending you a bill for this for this session, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> send it to Sean. Send it to Sean. <laughs> Anytime you have a conversation, <laughs> right, you're going to get billed for it. So that's the that's the worry a lot of clients have. And, and it's and it's well founded. Right. But um. But that's one of the reasons why, you know, we do things a little bit differently. But but yeah, if you have major changes, there's going to be a cost to making those changes. It's not going to be as much as redoing the plan, but there will be a cost to it. Um, but uh, but generally speaking, it could be done, you know, if they're minor changes, they might not even cost anything with us. 
uh, or they may be, you know, a minimal cost, maybe a hundred bucks or something like that to, to do changes like that. Wow. That's cheap. Unheard of. Is that's that not? A, yeah. Inexpensive. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. That, 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 that's virtually un unheard of. I think what, what all of this comes to is that, you know, it sounds very high end and celebrity ish or whatever have you to, for a person to have a team. But one of the subjects that we had on our show, uh, I think maybe two, three weeks ago, Brian, I forget was the value of a village. And part of a village is that everybody should have a team. A celebrity has a business manager or manager an accountant and all that kind of stuff. But in the areas of like your faith, your fitness, your finance, you know, and your, and, and your family, a person should have a, a you know someone to that, that's their go-to. Their go-to a, a doctor that you trust and you have a good working relationship with them, and the doctor respects your opinion as well. Someone that does the same with regard to money. How does it work supposed to the other way around? And then the legal aspect again, which most people think is only for people who have a lot of money, but you know every penny counts, and more importantly, so does every human being. Well, let me let me share another story with you. So we please. We had two two different scenarios. One scenario was uh, and Glenn, sorry to in, in, interrupt you. You're a, a little lower than us. I should have noticed that earlier. I think I don't know if you're further away from your mic or if your volume's down. Yeah, maybe. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. Um. There we go. Yeah. So, so one one scenario was we you know we had a father who was uh, who was remarried, but he had a, a son from a previous marriage, and now uh, now you know over eighteen, he's an adult. Um, but he has uh, some cognitive impairment and he's not able to, you know, uh, provide for himself independently and uh, receives government benefits. He's part of government programs and they have him in a, in a group home. And, uh, and we went to court for guardianship issues to, related to making decisions on his behalf. So you have the, the state mandated, you know, caregiver that has a representative there. You have a you know, you, you have the uh, the case manager, you have, you know, there's probably five or six people in the room that all say that they're there looking out for his interests. And I'm sitting next to his dad and his dad has a differing opinion from them, but they're not listening to him. And that's the team that he had. Now compare that to the second scenario, which was another client of ours who, you know, mom passed away. She left a special needs trust. She left it in the hands of a trusted friend who is a real estate agent and uh, and another friend who, who was supposed to be the guardian, right? And so we, we get in a room and we're sitting down and every person in the room had a vested interest because they cared about this lady, this individual, right? The daughter. And, uh, and I was in there, right? They had their estate planning attorney. They had their real estate agent. They had their financial advisor. They had their, the guardian. They had another trusted friend. And that was her team. Compare mm. and contrast that. And, you know, right. if you don't have a team in place that's going to look out for your interests, that cares about you, you, you may end yeah. up with a team that you don't want. Right, 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 right. Wow. It's amazing. Hmm. But yeah. I know we're coming down to the, you know, to sort of the end of our, of our time here. I will say over the last, over the last few weeks, um, Sean and I have had the privilege of bringing people on to this discussion to start to look at rounding out the village. We had uh, Layla Luna, who's, uh, who's got a foundation that she set up, to a, a real warrior about, you know, getting out there and talking to businesses about being friendly, you know, having a, a sensory uh, sensitive, if you will, um, environment for families who go to 
go to these establishments and, you know, go to a restaurant so that their kids can, can, you know, can, can, you know, can be taken care of and creating awareness for that. We, last week we had Georgiana Juko Kelman, who is an attorney, really another warrior, an advocate for families dealing with the school systems and, and, you know, I, IEPs and that type of thing. And, and you today, Glenn, you know, by the way, ab about to be a father for a fifth time, the fact you're taking time out of your personal schedule to be here with us to talk about this, you know, we're, we're so grateful to you and the people that we have on this, on this podcast, where we're just two dads sort of talking about the things that are important to us as parents of special needs kids, uh, special needs children. Uh, so I, I often get corrected. Uh, I'm grateful to you for taking the time and sharing with us because this is just great information that people should know, even if they're not dealing with, even if they have neurotypical kids, just how do they take care of their families in the best possible way and knowing that there's somebody like you out there that truly care for these uh, for these families. It's a, you know, for us, it's just, uh, it's just confirmation that, you know, we're on the right path and we, we continue to, to bring people on and uh, we have your information, I know, in the chat on one of our social media pages. I'm not sure exactly where it is, but but I, I personally, I want to thank you for your time here today because I think you're amazing and this is such great information and I hope we're going to get people to, to, you know, to reach out to you if they need this kind of help and this kind of support. And I just wanted to say thank you. I'm, just, I'm, I'm honored to be part of this conversation on a, on a weekly basis. Sean, did you want to yeah, say something there? Sure. Kind of took over there. Right? Yeah, again, just you know, immeasurable thanks uh, to Glenn. Immeasurable thanks to those that are watching. And as you, for everyone that's watching, share it with somebody. Share it to your page. Um, you know, this is this is a, a, immeasurable stuff. Share it, and then feel free to um, let us know about topics that are important to you. We're having conversations together as though we're in one another's living room, but um, you're there. So it's about the things that matter to you as well. And so we're going to be taking this, you know, to, a, you know, a, 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 on a bigger scale um, as far as other platforms, platforms and things of that nature as well. So I just want to thank Glenn again. Thank everyone for tuning in. We'll be back next week and we have some great things coming up. We're really excited about it. And um, yeah, I want to make sure that uh, I thank and acknowledge um, my warriors and partners in Thrive, my partner in Thrive in business here is obviously um, Brian. And my partner in Thrive at home and heart is my wife, Laura, and uh, my mom as well. And for everybody that's watching, just remember that there's some someplace that needs to know that you care. There's somebody someplace that's going through something that they would trade in and snatch up your biggest problems in a heartbeat. Your biggest nightmares are somebody else's dreams. And now more than ever, this country has got a big, not even a, a line, but a gutter right in between both sides. And each of us has to do everything that we can to come together in any way possible, shape, or form. So thanks, everybody, and thanks and both just, of you, man. Thank you for being here. I, I, thank you, Sean. I just want to say, Sean, we have, by the way, just so you know, Glenn, we're, we're multi, we're, we're across the country as well. And we've got a partner here that's, that's not on camera, Sean Hall in Hawaii, who basically manages the back end for us as well. So we've got somebody who's who the only way that Sean Francis. Forgive me for not mentioning that. Thank you so much. Yeah, no, why I, your information is in the chat. Yeah. That that's right. Sean Sean Hall is a he Sean Hall is an is an amazing guy and we're gonna be continuing to support. Uh Glenn, uh I've it, I've enjoyed this the fact that we had this conversation. You and I don't get a chance to talk very often. I know you and Sean talk more frequently, but 
but I am, um, my, my, my mind has been expanded considerably since spending this time with you. And I really, really appreciate you sharing the stories. Thank you for not making me cry. Um, uh, but thank you for the stand that you are for families and I'll Sean Francis. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't make me cry. Uh, Sean Francis, I love you. And, uh, I love the partnership we have here. So, uh, let's continue thank to do you. this. Uh, and Glenn, we're going to have a lot more stuff to work with you over the, over the coming, over the coming weeks and months and years. So. Thank you for your partnership, my friend. Most definitely. And awesome. best to you and your family and your unborn baby. We got you in thought and prayer. Yes. Thank you. Yes, yes, yes. Congratulations again. Amazing. Yes. All right. Thanks, everyone. We'll see awesome. you guys next week. Thank you, everybody. Okay. Bye-bye. Talk to you soon.